We have a lot to unpack tonight. We really do. So let's just jump right into it. Last, last month when we got together, we talked about this thing called men of God, the gatekeepers. We're, we are an unstoppable force. And the theme to that was, simply put, if, um, that if a thing is not bigger than me, it's not worthy of he. I know the grammar doesn't work, but I think you get the point. And we looked at Jabez, and Jabez is, is praying. He says, oh, that you would bless me in, indeed, Lord, that you would expand my borders, that your hand would be with me. Jabez was praying to God to ask God to, to put him in a position that was so big that he would fail unless God stepped in for one reason. He wanted to experience God. Jabez wanted to live a life that experienced God. I don't think Jabez was all that concerned about the specific result. He just wanted to know that when that result came, it was God who brought it. He wanted that kind of a relationship. But as I thought about that afterwards, I thought, you know, that's all very true. But we got to make, what's that look like with flesh and bone? How does that work today? How do we do that in such a way today that stretches us? Because that's what God experiences does when God you experience God it stretches you and that's not always comfortable but we need to be stretched in those areas you thought about already in your in your mind about the areas in your life that maybe it's your marriage or maybe it's your job or your finances your health or any of those things whatever area it was it's an area that basically what you're saying is I kind of need to be stretched it kind of needs to get bigger But it hasn't yet, has it? And I know, it feels impossible. There are some situations probably right now that you're looking at. Maybe, once again, it's your marriage. I keep going back to that. I'm not really sure why, but it keeps coming to mind. Maybe it's your marriage or your job, your finance, whatever area of your life it might be. And you look at that going, it's impossible. It's impossible for it to get better. I've tried for years for it to get better. I have prayed for years for it to get better. And it's impossible. And you know what? I probably agree with you. I would probably agree with you. There are things in this world, in this dimension we call reality, that are impossible for us to do. But I want you to keep that in mind. But here's what the Bible tells you. When Jesus tells us to accomplish the impossible, the fact that it's impossible is irrelevant. When Jesus tells us in our marriages, in our jobs, in our health, our finances, our ministries, whatever it might be, when he says, I want you to go do something impossible in those areas of your life, the fact that that thing he's telling you to do is impossible, that is irrelevant because Jesus is the one who told you to do it. And if he's going to tell you to do it, he probably has provided a way for it to happen. And that's the Jabez discussion. What Jabez was asking for was, God, I can't get in the bigger. I can't get there. Bless me indeed. Put me in that impossible situation so that I can experience you. Tonight I want to talk about two basic truths. I hope I prove them tonight. It's simply this. When Jesus commanded then... In the book of Acts, in the, in, as we read in the Bible, when he commanded them to do the impossible then, the impossible was, the fact that it was impossible was irrelevant. Second truth, when Jesus commands us to do the impossible now, the fact that it's impossible 
is irrelevant. So let's first of all look at Jesus. Jesus is leaving Jericho. He's had, a, he's had a long day of teaching. He's leaving Jericho, and the crowds are following him, and they're thronging around him. And, and as he's leaving, they, they pass by a couple of blind beggars. And the blind beggars figure out it's Jesus walking by, and so they start to yell out, Lord, help us. And the rest of the crowd's rebuking them and saying, don't bother him, don't bother him. And Jesus says, hold on. He walks over and says, what can I do for you? He says, Lord, we're blind. We, we, we want to be healed. And he does that. He heals them right there and then. You know why? Because the Jesus then had compassion. Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's, he's, he's teaching in the temple. And as he's teaching in the temple and he's standing there, he gets done with that. And all of a sudden, the crowd around him parts. And, and the religious leaders of the day came and they throw this woman in right in front of him. They say, that woman that they throw right, he threw right in front of them, right in front of Jesus, that woman was caught in the very act of adultery. I've always wondered, what happened to the guy? But they don't talk about him. They bring that woman, and they're demanding of Jesus to approve that they stone her. Now, in my mind's eye, Jesus is furious. He is furious and he, he, he kneels down on the ground and he starts to write some things in the dirt. And as he's kneeling down there and he's writing things in the dirt, they're watching what he's writing. And then he stands up and says, he's without sin, cast that first stone. Kneels back down, starts writing in the dirt. Now, in my sanctified imagination, what he's doing is simply this. He's writing the sins of the gentlemen who want to stone the woman. The men who have the stones in their hands, he's writing their sins. Because it says as he's doing that, and they're watching what he's doing, from the oldest to the youngest they leave. Till finally it gets to where it's just Jesus and the, and the woman. And he says, woman, where are your accusers? I don't know, Lord. He says, Jesus said, I'm not going to condemn you. Just don't go and sin so, no more. Because the Jesus then was not only compassionate, the Jesus then forgave sinners. Then we find a little bit later, Jesus has had another long day, and now he's, they're crossing, he and the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee. And they're in the boat, and Jesus is tired, you know. He, he's asleep at the bow of the boat when this huge storm comes up, and as the storm is coming up, and the disciples are just bailing for all they're worth, and they see Jesus laying in the bow of the boat, and they go wake him up and say, Lord, don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus gets up, and he looks at them, and kind of, okay, fine. He looks at them, and goes to the boat, and says, Peace be still. Instant glass. The clouds go away. The, the wind goes away. Stars are in the sky. And the disciples, who is he? That even the wind and the waves obey him. The Jesus then was compassionate. The Jesus then forgave. And the Jesus then had awe-inspiring power. Towards the end of, the, of his life, Towards the very end of his life, we find Jesus in a garden. In that garden, he has been betrayed by one of his closest friends. And the rest of them have deserted him. And they move him through the, and then as, the, as he's taken his prisoner, and they take him through the, these trials, and he goes to these mock trials, and in these mock trials, he is beaten, and, he's, and he's, he's humiliated, and they put the crown of thorns on his head, they put the robe on him, and then as part of the whole process, they, they whip him with the cat of nine tails, and understand, gentlemen, what that was like. 
This is not what we see in many cases. This is a, a handle with, with a bunch of leather straps. And in those leather straps are all kinds of bone and metal and sharp objects. And the way this would work, most men didn't survive this flogging because they would fling the, the straps over the man's back. It would wrap around his body. Then they would pull. It is said that historians tell us that by the time they were done with the 40 minus 1, the 39 lashes, which is not to say that's what Jesus got. They may have gotten more. By the time they were done with that, you can take the, a man's back and pull it aside like magician blinds and see what's inside. That's why they didn't survive it many times. And that was before the cross. Then they finally move through with the humiliation of being, of being condemned. He goes to the cross. He can't make it down to Via Della Rosa. They have someone help him to get into there. He gets there. And as we get to Golgotha, we have the king of all creation who could call down at any time legions of angels to rescue him who lays down willingly on that cross. It's not just about pulling his arm, putting his arms out. Gentlemen, they dislocate them from the shoulders. They pull it out as far as they can. And then they nail in between the bones. Then they put the feet together and they nail in between the bones. And the only way you survive any amount of time on that cross is not just from, because you die from blood loss or anything else. You die of suffocation. You drown in your own fluids. And so what you have to do to be able to stay alive is you push up to take a breath. You're pushing up on nail-pierced feet, pulling with nail-pierced arms. And in the agony of that, take a breath, and you exhale by letting it down. Some men could go on for days that way. That's why they would break their legs to hasten the death. But Jesus, he was in charge. He decided when he was going to die. And he got to the point where he said, it is finished, and he gave up his ghost. Why did he do that? Why would someone who didn't have to do that, who, if he didn't have to, would go through that? But he did. And the only reason I can think of that someone who does not have to be sacrificed for someone else goes through with it is because they want to. Gentlemen, Jesus wanted that. Not, he didn't want the pain or for the sake of the pain. He didn't want any of that for the sake of any of that. What he wanted that for was to save you and to save me. He wanted to make be that sacrifice. The Jesus then was compassionate. The Jesus then forgave sins. The Jesus then was someone who, who had awesome power, but the Jesus then was someone who loved you and me. More than right now, I guarantee any of us can ever comprehend. But further than that, Jesus had told his disciples a couple of times, you read the scripture, before he was put on that cross, he said to them, you know, they're going to hand me over to the chief priests. and They're going to kill me. And and then after three days, I'm going to rise again. Now, the disciples, they had a little heartburn with that, especially Peter. Peter tried to tell Jesus, he was wrong. I, it's probably not a good idea to try to tell God he's wrong. So just keep that in mind. And Peter, and Jesus made it pretty, pretty clear to um, Peter that he shouldn't do that again. But the fact is that, yeah, in fact, Jesus was turned over to the Pharisees just like he said he was going to be. 
And then he was, he was killed just like he said he was going to be. And then he rose again just like he said he was going to. But Jesus then was compassionate, forgave sins. He was awesomely empowered. He loved more than we, we ever dreamed. And the Jesus then kept his promises. Even the ones that are impossible to keep. That was the Jesus then. What about now? What's he like now? And one of the things that concerns me about the modern church, concerns because I was caught up in it for a while as I was growing up, is that it's almost like Jesus is evolving. He's somehow a little different than he was back in, 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 the, in, the, in the Gospels. He's somehow a little different than he was in the book of Acts. He's just kind of changing. You know, I know that's how they did things then, but you know, we don't do it quite that way anymore. It's one of those things as I've gone through all my studies and everything else. It was, I always call it this category of things that make you go, hmm? It's kind of like when, if you were to hear me sing, <laughs> Your head would begin to go to the side as I was flat or I was sharp or whatever else. It's just like something isn't right about that. So when I would hear that, I would, okay, I, I, I get it, I guess, but I didn't quite. Because you know what? There was something that just stuck in my craw. It was Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, where it says, Jesus is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he is the same forever. There's no change from the Jesus that had compassion, who loved, who gave himself on that cross, who forgave, and who kept his impossible promises. Then, there is no change for that today. He still cares about our needs. He still forgives. He still operates with unbelievable power. He still is the God who loved us enough to go to that cross, and he keeps his promises. Period. Now, folks, you have to understand that when we talk about living in the bigger, living in that area that's impossible, it's in that context. It's in the context with a Savior who is so awesome like that, like he was then. He is still that awesome Savior today. The things he offered his apostles and disciples then, he offers to us today. We have that at our disposal to use. If that's true, if nothing's changed about Jesus, then probably nothing's changed about his mission on this earth. Let's look at that mission then. Jesus said to his disciples, as he was, before he was heading up to heaven, he says, go therefore, in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Now, I want to focus not on the go therefore part. We talk about that a lot. I want us to think about the all the nations part. Because I, I want us to get inside the mind of the disciple. Try to feel, feel what they were feeling at that moment. Because later on, after it says in that, in that narrative, it talks about how they're standing there and just watching. They're not moving. They keep looking up in the sky after Jesus. And finally, some angels have to come down and wake him up and say, guys, get, go do what he said to do because he's coming back. He's coming back. But he told you to go do something. Why were they so dumbfounded? Well, I have, a, I have a, a, a theory about that. My theory is this. They walked with him for three years. They had the highs of the huge crowds and the lows of the people deserting him. They've seen both sides of that. And all that progressed to where he was finally crucified. And they thought initially he was going to be the Messiah who came and kicked out the Romans. And then he got crucified. Oh, yeah, he rose from the dead. And that was kind of a big deal. But now they're pretty much criminals. 
They're on the run. They have to go into hiding. And now it took 11 of them because, you know, Judas did his thing. And through all of this, through all of the things that Jesus did, all of the power he showed and everything else, his ministry pretty much was around the Palestine area. And now he's leaving and telling them to go to all the world? Get that in your mind. They had to be thinking. We didn't do it when he was here. It's going to be impossible to do it when he's there. But apparently, it must not have been because it might have been impossible, but that was irrelevant to Jesus, that it was impossible. But we're going to get into how he wanted to make that happen, but I want you to understand something, guys. That same mission is our call today. Let's talk about our personal lives. It may not that, I'm not I'm talking about right now, going to all the world. I'm talking about going back home to your wife. I'm talking about going and trying and back home to your kids. I'm, I'm talking about taking that step with your job or your finances or your health or whatever it might be that is impossible. You say, I've been working at it, I've been working at it, and I've been working at it, and it hasn't gotten any better. And you're saying, do it again, Doug? And I'm saying, well, that's what Jesus said. It's the same mission, to step into the bigger. That's where you're going to experience God. The same applies to our church, gentlemen. We're going to hit this hard tonight about the church. Jesus said, go into all the world. There's about half a million people in this general area, this market area. And we have an awesome thing going at this church. And we run around 15, 2,000 people. Where are the other 498,000? Oh, that's impossible, Doug. That's impossible. We can't get to all of them. Well, the other churches are, well, I think if you put all the churches together, we might be covering maybe 60,000 of them on a Sunday. Guys, Make no bones about it. What you're going to hear tonight is I'm going to call you to action about the other 498,000 lost souls in this region who we think it's impossible to reach, but you said go after them anyway. And we're going to figure out how God wants to do that. We think it's impossible, but if that God wants us to do that, the impossibility is irre irrelevant. It was impossible to do what Jesus told the disciples to do. That's the bad news. The good news is that that was irrelevant because nothing's changed about Jesus or the way he would do things. And Jesus didn't just leave them orphans. And this is where it gets really cool. This is where I hope you all understand that you have hope for your marriages and you have hope for your families and you have hope for your health and your finances and we have hope for the church to do great things in this world because Jesus gave us promises. Remember, the Jesus of then was the one who kept impossible promises. It starts off with a partnership. He says, guys, I know I'm going to heaven, but in Matthew 28, it says, but I'm going to be with you always. I'm going to be with you always. And then it says, to the end of the age. He's talking to them. I'm going to be with you always. But when he says to the end of the, end of the age, he's talking to us. Jesus was not going to leave us orphans. He promised that he was going to send 
the Holy Spirit. He promised he was going to send that promise of the Father. And it says in Acts chapter 1, it says, but you will receive power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Power through. I'm a bit of a gym rat. I like to lift weights, and I, I like, I figure I'm going to be doing things when I'm 80 years old, so I've got to pay the price now. But there's times I just don't want to go. I don't. I've been in, working all day, and I'm tired, and, but I, and I got to power through. I got to power through. What Jesus is talking about, you, can, you don't have to power through your marriages and your, and your jobs and all those things. You don't have to power through on your own. I'm sending you the power. I am sending you the power. And this power's got incredible potential. You look at John chapter 14, and this, this blows my mind when it talks about the potential of the power that God is sending us, that Jesus sent us. It says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works I do, he will do also. And, by the way, guys, greater works than these will he do. Because I go to my father. He walked on the water. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He calmed the storm. But he turned the water to the wine. He cast out demons. He read minds. He knew hearts. He fed thousands. And we're going to do greater than that? Yes. That is what we have in us in the Holy Spirit who can come and dwell in us or in through and for us. We have the potential of doing even more. That's why he can tell 11 criminals before he goes to heaven, go to all the earth. Because you're going to do more. I'm sending you the power. That power is coming because I'm leaving, because I'm sending you the promise. And because of that promise that you're going to have and that power, the impossible becomes irrelevant. It becomes irrelevant. And why? Why does he want to do this? The purpose for this was that we, so that we, they, we, can be witnesses to him, says in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and finally to the end of the earth. Gentlemen, Jesus' vision for your marriage is optimal. His vision for your children and your family is optimal. His vision for your, all the things in your life, it is optimal optimal his vision for this church is optimal it is more than we can imagine ever doing on ourselves by ourselves he wants to i want you to do this i want you to think right now about those areas in your life that you're challenged by think about them and think about how they challenge you but if you had your wish what would your marriage look like now, I don't want you guys thinking about a different wife. That's, not, that's off the table, <laughs> okay? <laughs> uh, what I want you to think about with the wife you've got, what would your marriage look like? What would it feel like? What would it be like when you came home at night? What would it be like when you woke up in the morning? What would that look like? And you missed the mark. Because of the power that works in us. Well, let's look at Ephesians 3.20. 
Now to him, this is a praise to God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask and all we imagine according to what? His power that works where? In us. He's a praise to God that simply says this, that no matter how good you can think it, no matter how awesome you can make it, no matter how, no matter how good your imagination might be, but any of those areas in your life where there might be weakness and challenge, God's saying, I can do you better than that. I will do you better than that because my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts higher than yours. That's the potential and that's the gift we have in Jesus. He's not leaving us orphans. He's left us with the power so that in our power we might fail, but in his power we can be more than conquerors. In our power we might be weak, but in his power we're strong. In our power we might be tired, but I know me. I will rise up on wings like eagles. I will walk and I won't be weary, and I will run and I won't be faint. In our power we might be attacked, <laughs> but no weapon formed against me is going to stand. In our power I might get sick, but in his power, by his stripes, I am healed. We might be threatened, but I know that he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I might be beat up, but greater is he that's in me than he is in the world. I may be hard-pressed, but not crushed. I may be perplexed, but not in despair. I may be persecuted, but not forsaken. Folks, I might be even struck down, but I am not destroyed because God has put his power for victory in me. The impossible is not impossible anymore because of Jesus Christ and what he did on that cross. Gentlemen, we can win. We can take back this ground. <clears throat> and, and who wouldn't want that? <laughs> if was, who wouldn't want that kind of victorious living? <sighs> we can have it because the same Jesus that promised that same power is the same Jesus today that he was then. Never in my lifetime have I seen a time where we didn't need that power more. I know there may have been times in history, but gentlemen, this is a unique time in our history. And I believe that we are in a final countdown. That we're in a final countdown that we need to prepare for. And we can learn much about how to do that and how to conduct ourselves during this countdown that's leading to God's movement by looking at how the disciples did it. Then Jesus gave them an order. He said, wait for it. I'm going to the Father right now. I got some furniture to move around, like Gary would say. I've got some furniture to move around. I want you to go into Jerusalem, and I want you to wait for the promise of the Father. Disciples obey. In Acts chapter 1, it talks about how they, they went to Jerusalem. They entered into the upper room. They stayed there. And, and they weren't just there wasting time, taking up space, using up air. But they were using that time because Jesus had made a promise. He'd already one promise. I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise. Are you kidding me? It's impossible. And he did it. So now they kind of figured out, if he says the promise is coming, they better expect it. Gentlemen, can I tell you, if there's a promise in God's word, expect it. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. He is truthful about what he says. And he's not going to tell you, I'm going to do something. Oh, never mind. I was just kidding. That's not how he operates. And the disciples figured that out. Jesus said, 
we need to go and wait for this promise of the Father because this power that we're going to need to do what he told us to do is going to be coming. And so they went there and they prepared. It says in Acts chapter 4, verses four verse 14, they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. It was kind of like this. God, please hurry. God, I need you. God, please send the helper. God, please send the promise. God, we, we miss you. And they're talking and they're, they're saying, God, you said you were going to do it. Lord, please do it now. And, and they waited and it for days after day after day after day. And that was then. And right now, I feel it's the same way for us. I feel right now, we're in a countdown. We're in, we're nearing the next, maybe, maybe the final movement of God on this earth. And Jesus, to that end, gave us the same order. He said, wait for it. Back in Isaiah, it talks about why it's good to wait on God. It says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Waiting is hard. How many have something you're waiting on right now that you really, really want? Isn't it hard? Waiting is hard. But it can be profitable if while we wait, we're preparing. We're preparing just as the disciples did. I want to give you guys a couple of suggestions. There's four things we can do to prepare. There's four things you can do individually to prepare. So as you're waiting for that answer for your marriage, as you're waiting for that answer for your family and your, and, your, and your job and your finances, as you're waiting for God to bring that answer that he promised, and if he promised, he will deliver, but you're waiting for it, there's four things you can be doing. The first thing is get in the word. You want to talk to the Holy Spirit? You want to talk to God? Here it is. This, these are their words. This is their communication. Put this in your heart. David said, thy word have I put in my heart that I might not sin against you. Devour this word. Get into this word. It is, it's, it's the integrated communication of God. Secondly, get into praise. I don't mean just praise when you're feeling good. In fact, I will say to you, the best time to get into praise is when you're not feeling so good, when things aren't going so good. That's when you want to get into praise. Because you know why? Because the Bible tells us that God inhabits the praise of his people. And if you want to get the enemy out of the room, and you want to get the enemy out of the situation, you start praising God, and he has to flee. Get into praise. You're in the word, you get into praise, and you've got both the integrated communication of God and then this inhabited communication with God. He will inhabit your praise and when he's there, the enemy can't be. Step out in faith. That's what inspired Jabez. It's the inspired communication from God. Put yourself in a position where it's bigger than you. And trust God. Put yourself in a position that's bigger than you and experience God. That is the faith walk. It's one step at a time. We talked about the ladder. is going up the ladder. However, whatever picture you want in your mind, but if you want to be waiting actively for God's spirit to be poured out on you to solve the issues and to, and to accomplish the mission in your, in your life, step out in faith. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about how the faith is that shield. It's that shield that, that puts out all the fiery darts of the evil one. It says, 
The evil one says, this bad thing's going to happen. And you say, no, it's not. No, it's not. Because greater than he is in me than he is in the world. And I'm telling you, that's not going to happen. We'll overcome that. It's faith. I have faith in God. I trust that God is going to do what God said he would do. And finally, prayer. It's the intimate communication with God. We can talk to the God of creation. I mean, we're, we've been in church, and so we kind of get used to, okay, now let's pray. Guys, we're talking to the God of creation, the God uh, that fulfills impossible promises, the God that loves us, the God that sent his son to die for us. We're talking to them. Pray. If you do those four things, while you're waiting for God to move in the areas of your life where you need to see impossible promises kept. I believe heaven will be unleashed. That's what happened then. That's what happened then in Acts chapter 2. We find that disciples were waiting expectantly. They're waiting expectantly for God to do what God said he would do. They're waiting expectantly for that promise of the Father. And it says suddenly next year, and this one happened. They're praying, they're praying, and they're, they're asking God supplication and prayer. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. It happened. It wasn't a promise that never happened, gentlemen. They, they studied for it. They, they waited for it. They, they prayed for it. They took God at his word, and they didn't quit, and they kept at it. And you know what? It happened. The Spirit came down. Don't quit. The word and prayer, faith. Don't quit waiting actively. Don't quit because it will happen. That power will come. And how do I know it was powerful? All I got to do is look at the effect. Before this happened, we had a, a hundred, about a, it says in Scripture, about 120 believers in this upper room. The day it happened, they added 3,000 souls. A little bit later, it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, and the Lord added to the church daily. Kept growing. In Acts chapter 6, they had to stop referring to it as adding. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it says, the number of the disciples weren't added, they were multiplied. It was rapid growth that was going on. And then by the time you get to Acts chapter 9, they can't even talk about the number of disciples being multiplied because it's happening so fast. The power of the Holy Spirit is moving so, so greatly. The, the, the impossibilities of life are being solved so often and so obviously to a world lost and going to hell that they were coming to Jesus. And it says that the churches were multiplied. They were adding churches so fast, it was they were by multiplication. Gentlemen, that's a movement of God. And that's what I believe is coming now. I believe that's what God is preparing us for now. He's preparing us for not that we just have a, a bigger church. He's preparing us for it to be a part of a movement. Part of a movement that's going to be described as churches multiplying. Oh my gosh. What could we do? What could happen to this world? What could happen in this world if that is what we pray down? This first movement of God was launched when Jesus unleashed heaven just like he said he would. 
poured out his spirit on those who were expectantly praying for it. And I believe now he's going to unleash heaven on us. It could happen tonight. It could happen tomorrow. I don't know when it's going to happen. But as I stand here tonight, I promise you, it's going to happen. Because my God does not lie. My God keeps his promises. We need to recognize that the movement that we need is long overdue. You look around and see what's going on in this world and how much ground we have lost. And that movement of God, where churches are growing so fast, they are multiplying, is long overdue. We need to partner with Jesus, the Jesus that never changes. He stays the same. Why? For his purpose and his promise and his power's delivery system is still the same. We need to partner with him on that. And we need to anticipate, anticipate this new final movement of God. We need to believe it's coming. Take God at his word. Anticipate it and prepare for it. Get into the word. Praise, fellowship, prayer, faith. Get into the word and do it to prepare your hearts, prepare yourself for that movement of God, whether it be in your marriage and in your family or your health or your finances or at this church. But get prepared for it so that God finds a people prepared when he's ready to launch. And then allow the Holy Spirit, guys, Allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through and for us. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in, through, and for you. That means when you are being urged to take a step, take it. Take it and let God do his thing. I'm not saying when you just get a wild hair and go do something. What happens when you aren't in the Word and you're not in prayer and the fellowship and those things we talked about is you can do stupid things and call it faith. I'm not talking about that. Ground yourself in those things and then when you do and you have an urging, you have the confidence that came from God and then do it. And we become husbands and fathers who within our marriages and our families and we are in and preparing for the for the outpouring of the Spirit in our hearts and in our, in our lives, and we are urged to take a step, and we do it, we will see miracles. Things that were impossible are irrelevant when the Holy Spirit gets involved. That's where you start, is your gates. Gentlemen, here's the kind of the deal. Because what we've talked about so far may feel like it's just about making us feel better about life. And while God wants to give us blessings, and all, that's all cool. I'm not saying that's not the case. But I want you to imagine something. See, the world watches us. They know about our marriages. They, they know about our finances. They know about our health. They know about those things that are our challenges in life. Can you imagine? Can you really imagine what they will do when they start seeing one after another how God advances you because you took him at his word and they start watching that and they see these miracles happen and these impossibilities occur over and over and over again. Can you imagine how they might respond? 
Oh, by the way, we can. We look back at the early church and we see multitudes coming to Jesus, and that's why. It wasn't because of the big numbers. It was because those big numbers represented marriages that were saved, families that were saved, health that was saved. God was working in individual lives, and people watched that and go, I want that. That's what I want. And they said, you know how you get that? It's Jesus, and you get the same promise I have. When Jesus tells us to accomplish the impossible, the fact that the impossible, it is impossible, guys, that is irrelevant. I do believe we're in a final countdown. We have a window of time. Look around. Watch the news. <laughs> See what's going on in this world. There's something going on. Many of you in here have talked to me as well about how you just sense there's something going on, right? Can you, how many can raise your hand and agree with me on that? Did you, there, I mean, it's weird, but there's something different that's going on right now. And you need to put that in the context of what we watch on the news and read the papers. I think it's happening, guys. I think it is. And you know what? During this time while we are waiting, and I hope while we wait, we're preparing for this promise, this power, it's still the same Jesus. It's still the same mission. It's still the same promises. It's still the same countdown. We're still preparing. And I anticipate it's going to be the same kind of launch. Once again, my question to you is, do you need a launch? Do you need solutions? Are there things in your life that are just too big for you? Can you be Jabez and see, Lord, this is too big for me? Yes. Before it's, Lord, this is too big to me. Rescue me. Jabez says, no. Oh, that you would bless me indeed by putting me in those big things because I want to experience you. Guys, it's time we start to look at our marriages and, and, our, and our families and our jobs and all of those things and stop looking at them as, 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 as trials and look at them as opportunities, opportunities to step out in faith with God, opportunities to step out in faith with God in such a way that we experience him. How do you do that? How do you prepare for that? How do you prepare for God to unleash heaven in your life? Word, prayer, praise, step out in faith. Let me talk to you about the church. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is Doug speaking. Gary and I are on the same page, but I'm not going to speak for Gary at this point. I'll let our pastor put this in his own words. But let me tell you what I believe God's got going here. And it's from my own experience that I had, just even recently. As, you, as I've told you before, one of my ministries was in Australia. It was in the Brisbane area. It was a city called uh, Logan City. It was a, a suburb of Brisbane. When you, you live in Australia, I've not really been, never been there as a tourist, so I don't know what that feels like. But when you live and work there, and especially in the ministry, I can tell you it's dark. It's, Australia is, is, is a wonderful country full of wonderful people that I love dearly. But there's a darkness there. I mean, it, they, they joke somewhat about how it was started off as a, as a colony for prisoners, and I get that part. But there's, there's, it's, you can't look at it and say there's any, any semblance of a Christian nation there. I mean, you would walk into um, any store, any store there, at least when I was there. And as you walk through the store, I mean, it's the magazine racks full of porno pornography just right out there in prime time on TV. It's pornography, both soft and, and hardcore, on primetime TV. It's in front of the kids. It's in front of it. It's just the way things are. 
It's, it is, and I, I found myself when I was ministering in Australia, as like looking at this going, you know, we're doing pretty good at this church we're in. It's probably, you know, we're filling up the auditorium. We're doing pretty good. But we, you really can't save Australia. <laughs> I, res- I believed that. I had assumed that it was too big. I had assumed that it was impossible. A few nights ago, I was flimming through some channels looking for some Christian, Christian channels, and I came across in Verizon, it's 288, the Hillsong channel. And I started crying. I looked and watched that Hillsong church as I'm sitting there watching on my TV tens of thousands of Christians celebrating Jesus at one time. Tens of thousands. Somebody there in Australia didn't buy the lie that I bought. Somebody there decided, no, it can be done. I didn't know what they were doing down there. I knew their music. I loved their music. But holy cow, in Australia? Jesus says the impossible is irrelevant. So I say to you tonight, and I tell you, and I promised you, and I commit to you, I'm never making that mistake again. I am never going to sell God short again. I am never going to look at any challenge in life and say it's too big again. I am never going to see the impossible as impossible again. If God is going to tell me to do something, I'm going to do my best to step out and do it and trust that he's a God of his word just like he was then and he is now. And gentlemen, if God can do that in Australia, what could he do here? What could he do here in this church? We have two services. Can you believe God to pack it out twice? Good for you. Can you believe God to pack it out three times? Can you believe God to do it four? Can you believe God to do it ten times every Sunday? Right now, Zach is, it's a lot of preaching. Can you believe God to do it ten times every day of the week? What's impossible for God? And why can't we do it? No, we can't do it. What we lack, all that remains for stuff like that to happen in this church and in this region is two things. An outpouring of the Spirit to empower us to do it that we, that we receive as we wait for faith and prayer. And a people of God willing to receive it. I want you to have a talk with yourself. Are you willing? Are you willing to receive this? Are you willing to say to God right now tonight, God, I want to see you work. I want to experience you, whether it's your marriage and your personal life or whether it's in this church. I told you last time, God's put in my heart 30,000 in five years. That was a year ago. We got four years left, gentlemen. I don't know what it means, but I do know it's possible because with God, the impossible is irrelevant. I don't know what God's going to do, but it's going to involve 30,000 people having something to do with this church in four years. And I'm going to believe God for that. I'm going to believe God for that, but I know that before that movement occurs, before that movement occurs on this body as a whole, this body as a whole needs the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit to, to do the changes, not just to make this a bigger church, 
but to make you a better marriage, make you a better man, make your family better, for people to see what God can do in a life that's fully committed to God, that steps out in faith with God and says, God, it doesn't seem possible, but God, here I am, use me. And my challenge tonight is prepare. Because it's coming. It's coming, gentlemen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that what is impossible to us <laughs> is not impossible to you, Lord. And, and Lord, heaven come down, Lord. Unleash heaven on us, Lord. Unleash heaven on us. Fill us with your power, Lord, to do those impossible things. May men tonight go home and take ground back in their marriages because your spirit has inspired them to take that step. May men go home tonight and take that ground back with their kids because your spirit has fallen upon them and inspired them to take you at your word to empower them to take that next step. And Lord, may this church as a whole be inspired and filled with your spirit to work in, through, and for us, Lord. To not just improve our lives, but Lord, to be an example, a witness to you, a witness of you, a witness for you. The world would look at it and say, I want that. Lord, may we honor you. May we wait expectantly. May we prepare, Lord. May we be in your, Lord, inspire us, challenge us, Lord. Lord, we beg you. Heaven come. And then, Lord, we are so excited because we know you're going to do it because you keep your promises to see what's next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.